It's time for Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by Vermal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Dotsler Power Equipment of Aiken, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shops, The Power Lodge, S&W Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Black Bear Lodge, and Saloon, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Now, here's your host for Brainerd Outdoors, Brian Moon. We're getting geared up for turkey season. That uh, First off, we bring in uh, Roland Hill. And Roland, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be here. Looking forward to the spring, having a great time turkey hunting. They're starting to heat up, and we're looking forward to that. Uh, Roland's going to actually do a kind of a turkey seminar for us. For those that are maybe new to turkey hunting, picking the right gun might be, first and foremost, uh, something that they need to keep in mind. Yes. You know, when everybody starts turkey hunting, I think they grab their shotgun, put in some turkey loads of goal. I always encourage people to really take some time and probably buy a specific turkey choke for their Remington 870 or for their Benelli Nova or whatever gun they may have. Their favorite grouse gun or favorite duck gun can work for turkey hunting. And it's it's always works for, I think, a lot of first-time people because I don't encourage people to go out and necessarily buy a specific turkey gun like I do, but try the turkey gun, try to do that, buy a choke, buy ammunition, turkey, or uh, pattern your turkey gun, know where it's shooting because it will shoot in different areas, and find the right ammunition for it and go have fun. I like to use a kind of a variable shot pattern, so I use a five, six, seven, maybe in a heavy shot or a federal third degree. I like that. I also like federal five shot itself. I used to shoot a lot of three and a half inch, but now I'm going back to three because I'm getting older. And, <laughs> and it's We all uh, are. <laughs> yeah, it hurts, your, it hurts your shoulder, I think, more with the three and a halves. But you can really reach out there and shoot with the three and a halves. But I think, especially around here, where a lot of the hunting is within the woods, I don't think you need the three and a halves. Uh, let's talk some tactics. Uh, early season that's when things can be a little interesting because they're not spooked yet. Yeah, I think early season's really good. I, lately, we've been seeing a lot of toms strutting in the fields, and I, I think right now it's really good to get out and start scouting. That's what I've been doing for the last week or so, and, and just checking out the activities and where they're at. But they're not in their typical spots quite yet, at least my spots that I have, which is probably 100 of them, and <laughs> um, we'll talk more about that and how I find my turkeys. I always say... Turkey hunting, you scout with your ears, not your eyes, because you have to really go and if you have permission to hunt some land, it's great. Yeah, you can go out there and look. But the best thing to do is get up at 530 right now and drive to where you're going to turkey hunt and start listening for toms, start listening for gobbles. And that's really what you have. If you have a tom gobbling out there, typically he's going to be close uh, when you, he's not guaranteed he's going to be there, but you have to go out there and listen for him. You listen for the gobbles. I always... I specifically hunt a lot of public land. Most of my hunting is done on public land. I don't have any private land access because I just make it a challenge to hunt all public land birds. And in Aiken County, there's 400,000 acres, and there's a lot of land over here in Crow Wing County, uh, Mille Lacs County. Uh, all the counties around us have a lot of public land that hold a lot of birds. So we'll drive, call, drive, call, drive, call, listen for toms, listen for toms, mark those spots, and then when hunting season, we'll come back and hopefully there's birds there. Habitat-wise, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a lot of pine trees? Are you looking for you know brushy areas? I think they roost a lot in pines. They like 
big Norways, big white pines to roost, but they'll also pick the biggest tree in the woods, I guess, and, and do that. Uh, they like, I don't know if there's anything specific. I, I always say turkeys are in the woods more than they're actual in the fields. That's my opinion uh, because you don't see them a lot, uh, especially during the middle of the day. They're out roaming. They're always in the woods. But it seems like around here they, they'll use logging trails a lot. Mm-hmm. They'll, use, they'll use little openings in the woods to strut and to have areas for, for breeding and things like that. Yeah, because I've shot them in open fields. I've shot them in thick woods. I've shot them in river bottoms. I mean, they're all over the place. As far as calling goes, uh, Roland, what does one want to do, especially these first couple of weeks? You know, I always say calling is good to get the attention. You have to get the attention of the bird. Once you get them to gobble... I always like to sit a little bit still and see what they're going to do. I also like to move. So I'm not specifically set up for decoys a lot. But if I'm in an area like a woods, I'll try to get closer to that bird to show some to show me moving towards the bird. I think that's important. If you can't move towards the bird, move one side or the other or go back just so you can call once, get his attention, uh, go, go towards him or make a little move, sit down, see where he's at, maybe call again, get him to gobble. If he does that, that's great. Also, the one thing is is when he's coming, if he's coming towards you and he gobbles to you without you calling, sit down, get your gun up, and enjoy the show because he's coming. That's typically what I found out. And if anything, I'll give just light purrs when they get closer or scratch on the ground just to make it sound like there's a turkey there. But I'm not a big fan of doing a lot of calling. Just to get their attention, let them know you're there. I, I have a box call here, so there's a lot of things that – you can do there's some aggressive calling and then there's some real minor calling. So a lot of times when you're going to get their attention on the woods, you may want to be aggressive. So really loud, that's with the box call. You can do the similar with the mouth call. So it's it's you that was a mouth call. I like to use mouth calls because it doesn't show a lot of movement. I like to use box calls to do it. When they're getting closer, um, you may want to just do real light um, when they're moving towards you, really light or even some purrs. It's hard for me to do this. There, that's on a box call. Um, otherwise, it's a mouth call. Really light yelps. Just don't go too crazy with it. Those are like purrs and putts, that sort of thing. You kind of mix that in. Scratch the leaves a little bit. Make sure they're coming. The biggest thing is, is you just don't want to overcall when you when you have the birds coming in. I've hunted enough birds where I kind of have an idea what that tom is doing, but it takes many, many years. Yeah, I, I would say that's my biggest mistake. I think a lot of times I've overcalled, um, and I think the hunters, that's probably the biggest mistake they make. Yeah, and I think so. And not knowing when. It's it's really not overcalling. It's not knowing when you have to vocalize, when you have to make that call. It's It takes years. And that's the fun part about turkey hunting. You had mentioned earlier when we were talking about scouting, you scout with your ears, not with your eyes. But are there some visuals that you want to look for, scratching in the leaves and the ground and all of that stuff? Yeah, I think I think you want to look, especially if you're on back roads, gravel roads, uh, especially after a rain, you want to look for tracks. And then you want to see, you can see their feathers when they're strutting, you, they, they, it, you can see that they're scratching. The feathers are going actually into the ground, kind of going in circles, semicircles, and things like that. You can see that specifically. You also look for feathers. I've found feathers. It's like, well, there's turkeys here. 
um, that sort of stuff. So I think that's important to look for, too. You also mentioned something, you and I were talking off air, about the curve. And explain to me and, and our listeners what that's all about. The curve, just think of it as a U. So the top of the U on the left side is opening weekend and the first couple weeks of turkey season. And, and it slowly goes down. And then the bottom of that U, and I know a lot of people hunt right around the 1st of May, one, I would say May 1 through 10, uh, you really have to be a good turkey hunter because that's when the toms are typically locked down with hens big time. And they and you'll, you'll catch jakes. I mean, we talked a little bit before the show. You'll see a lot of jakes roaming around. But a lot of toms are locked down with hens. And then it slowly, gradually starts going up. And to be honest with you, that last week of May is one of the best weeks of turkey hunting that I've had in the last, I don't know how many years. Because nobody's hunting them. Everybody's fishing. And the toms are now roaming around looking for hens because most of the hens are bred, but they're still in that breeding mode. So they will strut and they will come and they will come in good at the end of May. I'm going to be hunting both Wisconsin and Minnesota the first two weeks of May. What am I going to run into there? Uh, you'll probably run into some lockdown birds. <laughs> <laughs> Just my luck. <laughs> at the same time, you know, a lot of those tactics, you're going to, you're talking about hunting Wisconsin, you're going to be a lot of fields, probably that sort of stuff. So you can kind of get in there. You can kind of sit on the edge of fields and, and kind of wait for them, kind of try to pattern them the day before, see where they're moving. A lot of times they're creatures of habit. In Minnesota, you just have to find the right the right Tom that doesn't have a girlfriend. That's really what it is. Yeah, that's the tricky part. Um, one other thing, too, you mentioned you're not a big fan of decoys. Uh, a lot of hunters like to use them, but uh, you don't necessarily like to. Here's my reasoning is because once I have, and again, I'm hunting in the woods a lot. Once I have their attention and they're coming towards me, and this takes years to figure these toms out, I can hear them strutting by their, by their spitting and, 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 and strutting. You can hear that. Uh, the drumming, spit and drum, you can hear that in the woods from a long ways away. And once you hear that, you know he's looking for the for the hen. So trying to be a little bit discreet about it, he'll come in with his head up looking all around, and he's trying to find that hen, and he'll keep coming. I, I found that. The other thing is, is I've had too many toms lock up. So if I put decoys out, typically I'll put them behind me. So I'll put them 20 yards behind me, and I'll sit 20 yards in front of it from where he's coming. And then a classic example of last year during the first May season, uh, my nephew Jordan and I were hunting, and we threw the decoy about 30 yards behind us. And, and where did that bird lock up? Bird locked up at 50 yards from the decoy, but 20 yards from us. And he shot a beautiful tom that morning. And really, in reality, he locked up and started to strut back and forth on the little trail, back and forth. He wouldn't come any farther. And we just watched the show, and then he shot the bird. But it's truly they will lock up on you and do that. And just maybe for somebody that's new to the sport, too, that's the big thing with turkeys is not so much smell or anything like that or something they hear. Eyesight is impeccable. They have the greatest eyes. I have sat in fields and moved my arm, and they'll look right at you at 300 yards away. I, I can't believe the eyesight they have. So camel pattern is very important. You have to be camel, and really it's just movement. You can't move. So you have to constantly position when that bird's coming in before he can see you. And by ears... You hear him where he's coming and then get your gun ready so you don't have to swing the gun from one way to the other. Uh, you briefly mentioned, and I think that's something we can touch on again uh, for people that don't know, if, they don't, if they're not a landowner, there's plenty of land around here for people to hunt. Yes, there's a cool app. It's called Onyx Hunt. That'll give you all the property owners, plus it'll give you all the public land. 
and you drive around, it's GPS coordinated, so you can drive around and you know exactly where you're at. Or go buy a plat book. Um, I think you can buy them here at the county. You can buy them in Aiken County. Buy a plat book, and you kind of just go on the roads and look for that public land. I am a firm believer that there's more birds on public land than there's on private land. But that's that's me, and that's the way I approach it. But I just approach it. It's really good out there to go out and find the birds. Fun time of the year. Rollin Hill. Rollin, thanks. Great information, and we'll look forward to having you on the show again. Thanks again. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. And a nice treat this week. Uh, we're joined by the first time on the show, uh, John Thielen, who's the host of Lindy's Fishhead TV on Fox Sports North, joins us. We're going to talk some uh, cold water walleye tactics. I'm sure we'll, that's going to be the situation we're going to be in, I think, as we hit an opener. And also some shore fishing tactics as well, because many are going to be maybe taking part in that. First off, John, welcome to Brainerd Outdoors. Well, thank you. It's uh great to be on the show and and uh, i think you're right i think we're gonna have some cold water fishing coming up here in a couple of weeks i think you're right too uh so we'll get to that here in just a bit for those that aren't familiar with you john uh maybe a little background on, on how you got started in this business and and a little bit about the show that that you host there on fox sports north sure well i'm gonna date myself a little bit i'm gonna age myself a little is actually what i'm gonna do here but uh you know i got started in the industry full-time about 20 years ago i and I started through tournament fishing and, and uh, actually with the In Fisherman Professional Walleye Trail, I spent a bunch of years fishing that. And, and I was fortunate enough to have some success there and, and make a few championships and, and have some good runs in the Angler of the Year race. And, and ultimately, it was really a springboard to the rest of my career, which got, in, uh, got into teaching people to fish more than anything. I, that's, that's really what I enjoy doing. And, and spending time, you know, teaching people to fish any species. And, and I've been able to do that through magazines and, and, you know, working with a lot of different writers. I've been able to do it through various radio shows. And, and now for the last four years, I've been the host of Lindy's Fish Ed Television on Fox Sports North. And we also are on Fox Michigan and, and we're also on Fox Midwest and up in Canada on wild TV. So the show has really grown and, uh, Man, I, I love the opportunity to be out on the water and, and doing what I love and, and sharing sharing what I what I what I've been lucky enough to get to do with, with a lot of viewers every Saturday morning. What is what separates your show from the others that are out there? Is there anything specific? Well, I think the number one thing that we focus on is, you know, I, one of the things that's happened in the T V industry and it's it's just the way it is, is so much of it has become a situation where it's constant product talk and and, you know, everybody's got to pay the bills one way or another. And I, I've been very fortunate that as we concepted Lindy's Fish Ed Television, we have put together a, a show that doesn't have to talk about products nonstop. You'll, you'll get to see the products that I use, but we really focus on tactics. I really focus on trying to teach people how to catch fish versus every single little product that I use. And, and again, you know, I understand the scenario that a lot of shows are in out there. You, you got to pay the bills. But I've been fortunate that Lindy and Pradco Fishing, their parent company, has paid all the bill on this show because we, we really do want to just focus on teaching people how to fish, how to fish those Lindy products and how to catch more fish and enjoy more time on the water. Because let's face it, the more the more fish everybody catches, the more often they're going to go fishing, the more apt they are to bring a kid fishing day the more apt they are to 
be, become a more avid fisherman, and, and I think that's really important in today's world. So that would be the difference with our show. We really do focus on trying to teach the, the viewer tactics that will help them catch fish when they go out on their own lake. Walleye is your favorite to go after, or you basically just getting out on the water is your favorite? It's kind of funny. Kind of a hidden secret that I have is, is man, I love fall crappie fishing. It's, it's something I've always really enjoyed. But walleyes are my favorite, and, and primarily because I built my career around walleye fishing. I, I was a guide on Mille Lacs Lake for, oh, geez, eight or nine years. I did it full time, and, and, you know, the tournament fishing, that based around walleye. So, realistically yeah walleyes are my favorite but walleyes are kind of my favorite by default because that's where i was able to build my career and you mentioned mille Lacs. would you say that's one of your favorite lakes Uh, it's kind of hard to pick just one but is that one of your favorite lakes here in the state to fish oh sure you know and, and i mean i enjoy fishing all over the state i enjoy fishing all over the midwest i did grow up fishing mille Lacs. i i grew up in anoka just a couple hours south of brainerd and and it was an easy drive for my dad and I when I was a kid up to Mille Lacs Lake, and that is where we spent a lot of our time fishing. But I had grandfathers that had cabins in Alexandria and another one on Leech. So, you know, we got to a lot of different places. Um, we spend our weekends now up on Mille Lacs Lake, and my youngest son is 17 years old, and he's got buddies up there every weekend. And, and you know, while you can't keep anything there right now, I'll tell you what, it sure is fun to go out and catch as many fish as, as are willing to bite. And, and, you know, the the thing about these colder water tactics is if you just make a couple little changes, you're going to be able to catch fish. I mean, there's there will be people that, that say, boy, those first few days after the ice goes off, it's really hard to catch them. And, and you know what, at times it can be, but you can still catch them if you make some adjustments. And, and we can certainly talk about some of those today. I think bait selection is a big deal. If we're gonna if we're gonna have cold water, which I fully expect on opener, about every five years we have one of these. And if you if you didn't make it on the last opener, you're ten years removed from this weather. <laughs> it was actually two thousand thirteen, if I remember correctly, there was still ice on the shores on the Lax Lake on opener. But that year, every time we dropped a leech in the water, that leech would ball up. And and if that leech is all balled up, the odds are that that leech is not going to catch you a fish. So one of the things that I change right away, if we're going to, if we're going to have cold water is I'm going to fish minnows and I'm going to fish minnows because they're, they're already acclimated to that water temp. Um, you know, you put them in a bait tamer in your live well and you've got water running into that live well. And those, those minnows are, are going to be in great shape where the leeches, they just can't handle that, that super cold water when they get dropped in. So Ultimately, that's one of the things I'm going to change right away is I'm, I'm going to go to minnows. Second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put far less action on whatever the tactic is I'm using. So if I'm, if I'm Lindy rigging and I might have, when the fish are super aggressive, I might be holding that Lindy rig, you know, just six inches to a foot off the bottom, that weight. And, and I might be using a heavier weight and moving a little bit faster. What I'm going to do as soon as I get in that cold water is, well, I'm going to be using a minnow. The other thing I'm going to be doing is I'm also going to be probably moving as slow as I can make my boat move. I'm going to lighten that weight up a little bit. Maybe I'm going to go all the way down to an eighth ounce if I can get away with it. And then I might even at times just drag that weight further back away from the boat and just let that let that uh, minnow just work his way along you know, right along the bottom, barely moving because I don't feel like the fish are going to be up and as active. 
if we're right behind the spawn. A lot of times they're they're laying a little bit tighter to the bottom and moving just a little slower, giving them a little more time to jump up and hit it can make a huge, huge difference too. And one thing I want to throw in about fishing minnows, whether we're fishing a jig or a lindy rig, keep this in mind. If, if you're lindy rigging, you really want your minnow to be moving. You want him alive. Just hook him through that soft spot in the upper lip. Don't go up through the skull and drag a dead minnow around. It can make a big, big difference if that minnow can actually put a little swimming action down there on his own. Now, if I'm jigging and I'm jigging really, really aggressively, it's going to be a little bit easier for me to justify letting that minnow die as I hook him. But if, if you're going to be just kind of dragging jig a little bit, you know, maybe you're going to downsize your jig just like we are a Lindy rig, maybe you're going to go down to a 16th ounce jig, maybe an eighth and just drag it along. There's nothing wrong with lip hooking a minnow at that point and letting that minnow struggle along a little bit as well, because that's just added natural action down there that can help. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. You're listening to the place for everything outdoors in the Brainerd Lakes and beyond. Brainerd Outdoors Radio, just after 7, Saturday mornings, Sunday evenings at 7, and Monday mornings at 5, right here on B93.3. Now here's your host, Brian Moon. You know, one of the things you hear, John, uh, when you're fishing cold water, a lot of times, a lot of anglers, I always say fish slow. And I think sometimes anglers don't know, especially those that don't get out a lot, really know what that means. And I think that's also a mistake, and myself included. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what you actually mean when you say fish slow. Sure. You know, if I'm in the middle of summer and that that, that bite is just going crazy and fish are just going nuts, I might go with a Lindy rig 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 miles an hour. I might actually be really moving along. Now, one of the cool things is most everybody's running some type of GPS unit in their boat now, so you can get a real-time speed by looking at that GPS. I'll spend a lot of time, I, I run Humminbird Electronics. Everybody else makes good stuff too. They'll all give you the ability to look at your speed while you're drifting along. But what I'm looking at now is I'm going to try to get down to 0.3, you know, maybe 0.4, and there's there's various things you can do to get to those speeds. You know, maybe you're drifting and it means putting a second drift sock out. If you're trying to troll, maybe maybe it means just dialing it down a little more. Maybe you're using a drift sock in conjunction with, with your trolling motor. But the reality of it is slowing way down is not really slowing way down, okay? It's what you're used to on opener where you might be going 0.7, you know, maybe you're up to 0.8. You're not, you're not slowing down two or three miles an hour. But you, you might be slowing down half a mile an hour, maybe four-tenths, three-tenths of a mile an hour, and that can make a huge, huge difference. The other thing that I would say, too, and I've seen this happen a lot of times, especially in cold water early in the year, is getting your bait further away from the boat can make a big difference. So, you know, just a few minutes ago, I was talking about lightening up. In, in lightening up that weight that you're using, Getting that bait back further away from the boat can make a big, big difference. Is it the fact that the water's a little clearer at this time of the year? Very well could be. You know, on a lot of our natural lakes, that runoff just doesn't dirty it up if the wind's not actually blowing and, and, and you know, it's, we're not talking a river situation here. So maybe the boat bothers them a little bit in that colder water. But the other thing is we are usually fishing a little shallower in those cold water springs. And, you know, here we are this year you might be catching fish in five, six, seven feet of water. And if you're drifting over the top of them or 
or back trolling over the top of them or pulling along with your your trolling motor, what you might find out is you're spooking some fish. So getting out further away from the boat can make a big, big difference and in using that lighter weight. And one last thing I wanted to talk to you about, John, and that is uh, with some of the ice that may be on some of these lakes, uh, we might be fishing closer to shore or from shore. Uh, maybe sure. a few tactics on that as well. Man, I, I think shore fishing is really overlooked. I'll, I'll give you a couple things that I firmly believe in, and I use these same things from the boat as well. Um, number one, remember this. With with this late spring, the walleyes are still going to be near spawning grounds. So if you're picking spots to fish from shore, you know, think about those areas that you've read about over the years or you've seen on TV that are spawning areas. And what that's going to be is is your pea gravel type stuff, your harder bottom, your sand. You know, this isn't going to be your muddy bottom stuff. It's not going to be your weedy stuff. So you can rule out a lot of areas. If you've got a lake, now obviously you're not going to have a lot of weed growth this year when, when opener comes. I mean, that's just not going to be there because of the cold water. But if you know where those weeds usually grow, you're probably talking a softer bottom there, and you're probably in a situation where that's not where they're spawning. They're usually going to spawn more in those hard bottom areas, the gravel stuff, the sand stuff. So so the first thing I would do is, is, is eliminate about half the lake and get down to those areas, and maybe it's even more than that. But those areas from shore are going to hold more fish. Then the other thing is just understanding that it, it's so easy to cast from shore and bring it back too fast. Remember when you're bringing it back, take your time. I mean, it's, it's nothing for me to cast an eighth ounce jig with a minnow and take a couple minutes to work it all the way back. And I can stand next to somebody who takes 30 seconds to bring it back because when you're standing there on shore, you feel like you're not moving. Ultimately, you got to think about how fast am I moving that bait? And you really want to dial it down. I mean, you want to bring it back slow, let it sit on the bottom, give it a little lift, a couple, couple turns of the reel, let it settle again, work it back really slow. Give them time to get it because you got to understand that you might be casting an eighth ounce jig right to where they're sitting and if you bring it the first 10 feet too fast they might not chase it back up that ledge quite as willingly as they might chase it down a ledge if you were in the boat so slow down especially at the beginning of your retrieve and give those fish time if they're sitting right in that six seven eight feet of water where we're most likely going to be able to cast to the other thing i would say is use a light use the lightest jig you can if you're casting Remember, the fall rate is going to be much faster with a quarter-ounce jig than an eighth-ounce jig. And a lot of times, that slower fall each time you lift it will trigger more strikes in cold water than that faster fall you'll get with the heavier quarter-ounce jig. And then there's one last thing I would add. There's a gold mine opportunity, if you can find it, that, that I've seen on a lot of lakes over the years, and I use this when I'm casting from my boat or casting from shore. If you can find a creek coming in that's bringing water at this time of the year, it's just a magnet. And what's going to happen this year, I, I think, the water table's pretty high. If we get just a little bit of rain those last couple days before opener, it, it's going to be pretty cool. There's going to be a lot of little areas where there's inlets of water flushing into lakes. Fish those areas, you know, pitch into that little bit of current pitch into those areas and you'll find a lot of times that it's just a magnet for fish that have finished spawning and they're over there grabbing whatever food is flushing into the system. Some great stuff from John Thielen. He is the uh, host of Lindy's Fishhead TV. 
on Fox Sports North. Uh, John, if people want more information on you, uh, your TV show, and, and what you're up to, what's the easiest place to find all that? You know, I've got I've got a Facebook page. It's actually called Professional Angling Promotions slash my name, John J O N P Thielen. Um, you can you can find what I'm doing. You can you can kind of watch where I'm going around the country right there. Um, the other place that's really great is if you haven't seen the TV show or if you don't have time to see the TV show, you can go to Lindy Fishing Tackle's YouTube channel, and right there we put all of these fish ed episodes up there. So you can you can look at archived shows from years, and there's there's always something there that no matter what the tactic is you're looking to go do, we've got a video out there to to help you learn how to how to do this. And and once you watch some of those, you might say, hey, that that might be one of my new favorite shows to watch on Saturdays. And so there's there's a lot of opportunity out there though to see these episodes, um, whether it be on TV or online. John Thielen, host of Lindy's Fishhead TV, Saturday mornings on Fox Sports North. John, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I know you're a busy guy, uh, and hopefully we can have you on the show again here real soon. I'd love to, and I'm I'm never too busy to talk fishing. There's nothing better in the world to get to talk about than fishing. So, so anytime, Brian, I, I appreciate you having me on today. Good luck to everybody on opener. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. And time for our Hungry Hunter segment. We bring in Chef Joel with Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, as we always do. So you bring us a very interesting wild turkey recipe, wild turkey Florentine sandwiches. Yep, we're going the uh, sandwich route this time. I don't think we've made a whole lot of sandwiches, so... This, in my mind, is a good uh, a good afternoon, lunchtime, outside grilling sandwich. We're going to start off with uh, some bacon. Start cooking off some bacon in a large skillet. I like to use a nice thick-cut bacon. You need about eight slices. Go ahead and cook that down to as, as crispy as you like it. We'll take that off, put on a paper towel, let the grease dry off a little bit. We're going to save that bacon grease, and we're going to just uh, saute up some onions, mushrooms, toss in a little bit of artichoke hearts, saute that together, cook it down a little bit. Add in a little bit of fresh garlic. You can even splash a little bit of wine if you have it. It's not necessary, but if you got it around. So let that cook down just a little bit. Don't want to burn your garlic in there. But just want to get the vegetables nice and soft. And we'll kind of set that aside and just keep it nice and warm. See, so here we are. We haven't even added the turkey yet, and I'm already mouth is already watering. So <laughs> just onions and mushrooms. <laughs> All right. And we'll take our wild turkey breasts. Probably in about four of them, we're going to make four sandwiches. So season those up, both sides. I just use a little salt and pepper, rub them down with a little bit of oil. We're going to toss those on the grill, nice medium-high grill. You know, cook them two, three, four minutes each side, depending on the thickness. Don't want to overdo it. And we'll just take those back inside, top them off with the uh, onions, mushrooms, artichoke hearts. Add a little bit of cheese, provolone cheese on top, a little bit of bacon. And we're going to throw that on a ciabatta roll and toast it up and... Nice ciabatta roll. What a, what a good grill I was going to say, you've outdone yourself already. And this is radio. I'm trying not to be. I'm, I'm being visual here. I'm just sitting here shaking my head. And <laughs> this sandwich sounds phenomenal. And like I said, before you even added the turkey, you had me hooked with just, uh, we got We got to add some spinach to that sandwich, so we forgot the spinach. So but, are we uh, just adding things as we go along now? We're just adding as we go now. <laughs> Well, if you want to give it a try, and I encourage you to do so, I know I will, uh, just head to our website, BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com, and then you can try Wild Turkey Florentine Sandwiches. Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon. Good stuff, Joel. We'll talk to you next week, okay? Excellent. Thanks, Brian. 
And that will wrap up this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch Brainerd Outdoors just after 7, Saturday mornings, Sunday evenings at 7, and Monday mornings at 5, right here on B93.3. Don't forget, you can stream the live show if you're away from your radio or out of town at BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Click on the Listen Live tab. You can also find the show on demand there. And, of course, we're all over the podcast network, whether it be iTunes, Podcast One, wherever you download podcasts. Search Brainerd Outdoors. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. We would appreciate that as well. We'll see you next weekend for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors. I'm Brian Moon. Brainerd Outdoors has been brought to you by Vermal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your ice castle dealer in Pine River, Dotsler Power Equipment of Aiken, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shops, The Power Lodge, S&W Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Join Brian Moon just after 7 Saturday mornings, Sunday evening at 7, and Monday mornings at 5 for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors right here on B93.3.